Welcome back, everyone. This is TJ the Masonator, joined with Mikey Swell. Today, listen and enjoy our, this is one of our better episodes, I think, as far as uh, we go over muscle building, uh, we go over strength building, we go over fat loss, and then we go into all the nuances within those categories and how we would design a program for each quality. Listen in and enjoy, and don't forget to subscribe. So yeah, now let's begin. Uh, so we're going to discuss a couple specific ways we would program for a couple specific goals. Uh, so beginning, let's start off with uh, building a program for hypertrophy or muscle gain. Which is, I think, a lot of people's goal like, yeah, at the I end of the day. It's very, very common. Uh, do you want to lead us on this, TJ, what you would do? And then I can discuss what I would do? Oh, yeah. Um, so I think let's, let's break it down into terms of frequency, sets and reps, kind of like splits and exercise pairing, and then finish it up with like deload and fatigue management. So when when it comes to hypertrophy, I think uh, frequency you have to come uh, or you have to work out a minimum of three, mm-hmm. and that's just me. If I were to build a program, I want you coming at least three times uh, a week, or not coming in, or at least working out three times a week. Um, and then I I would say if you manage, and we'll talk about this. <clears throat> I'll talk about this uh, uh, later in the segment. Um, if you manage your fatigue properly, you could come seven, right? Yeah. Um, so anywhere from three, three is minimum. What I would recommend is probably five to six. Mm-hmm. So like obviously save the Saturday, Sunday, or either have uh, certain days during the week off. Um, I would recommend five or six. I, I currently do six just because I can, I can handle the workload. Um, obviously when the, when the volume gets up there, it definitely takes a toll on me, but um, we'll get into that. So sets and rep wise, <clears throat> uh, getting into that, uh, I, I like to keep the sets uh, somewhat moderate, so um, I, I like to think anywhere from like four to six. Um, uh, that's usually what I'll program, and then I kind of like to get uh, I, I like to get kind of funky with the reps and uh, the intensity, depending on uh, how hard I'm working or how hard uh, the person I know is working and how well they can take the the volume. And the intensity. So <clears throat> sometimes I'll I'll sandwich. I call it a sandwich. I'll I'll, I'll put two I'll put two uh, like lighter intensity mm-hmm. uh, sets, and I'll sandwich them in, or I'll, I'll sandwich two uh, heavier intensity uh, sets in between those. Right. So you, you get your uh, you get your kind of your your warm up set in. <clears throat> get the blood flowing and then you attack your two heavy sets and then you'll finish up with a lighter set so you get I kind of I kind of liken it to like maybe uh, like one it's it's more it's more volume at, at a weight you know you can do and I, I like the little placebo effect you get from it knowing that you're kind of dropping in intensity so I think that's very effective uh, in that um, uh, some other things I do is I'll do um, I'll do uh, the same thing but instead, at that last set, I'll—I uh, mean, I call it—I call it dessert reps. Um, yeah, I'll add a little bit more volume, just because it's less and in, less intensity will allow that. Hopefully, will allow them to achieve a little bit more volume without too much uh, fatigue involved. So, um, I found, you know, anecdotally that I mean, it helps me. It's helped my clients. Um, it's not how I do it for every uh, occasion. Sometimes I, I keep it straight across the board. Sometimes I'll do um, like an ascending depending or descending. It just depends on what the client's feeling, what they prefer to 
Um, I, I usually try to keep it a little bit more on the simple side, not, as not to confuse. Uh, you know, my basic clientele is just people that want to come in. They're you're, they're executives, and they want they they just want to look good when they're not in their business suits. So, <clears throat> um, then when it comes to splits and like exercise pairing, uh, I mean, I like to do. Uh, like uh, like when it comes to splits, I like to do push pulls, whether it's legs, arms, uh, and then you uh, or excuse me, upper body, um, pairing like chest uh, with like a row, a horizontal mm-hmm. row, like a bent row. I, I like uh, pairing uh, horizontal pushes, horizontal pulls, also like vertical pulls. Like I love doing uh, like a pull up or a lat pull down with a overhead press. Right, mm-hmm. um, anything where. You're getting that good agonist, uh, antagonist, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, work in there, and it allows you. I mean, I, I love kind of the efficiency of it too because you can pair those in a superset, and you can uh, hit hit those uh, at a pretty good intensity and do it in a, in a, in a pretty efficient time because mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of people are on these time crunches as well. So, um, so then when it comes to like like pa- exercise pairing. It definitely goes back to those splits, um, but I, I definitely am not a big fan of um, over over compounding a set. I, I definitely understand you are, you're trying to work uh, you're trying to work it to a certain volume or a certain fatigue level. You're trying to simulate uh, a little bit more lactate, um, but I try not to say like do like a shoulder movement and then like go right into like a plank movement where it's going to be a lot of shoulder work they're going to be ah you know it's going to hurt my shoulder so i try to <clears throat> i try to work one side uh, and then the other side so um that's that, that's usually how i do it um a lot of people or a lot of coaches will uh, do it a different way right um so that's usually what i try to stick to and then when it comes to deload and fatigue management, it just depends on, uh, obviously, you got to ask how your client's doing, you know, or athletes doing. Are they, have they slept? I mean, I, I feel like, you know, have they slept or have they, they, have they eaten well? Mm-hmm. Uh, anything like that is going to really affect their workout. So you always got to make sure that they're, they're doing that fatigue management themselves. They're getting enough sleep and they're resting enough, especially after, if they're athletes, practices, school, making sure they're getting all their work done and then coming in and doing strength training. Um, but if it's just a general client, um, depending on how long the program is and, and what their fitness level is, you know, you throw in that deload week where you just take everything down, take intensity and frequency or take intensity and volume down. And, uh, and you know, you kind of, uh, I'll, I'll usually try to keep um, the core the core list the same, but then I'll throw in a couple different accessories uh, into those uh, weeks to kind of change it up a little bit before we ramp up kind of those core lifts again. So, yeah, um, yeah just to kind of put all that <clears throat> into a nutshell. So uh, now, why don't you uh, why don't you uh, tell us what you what you got, brother? Yeah, that was awesome, TJ. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, I agree on all those points. Uh, so I guess when building the optimal hypertrophic uh, program, uh, the first thing we would do, and you talked about this, is look at the individual. So most importantly, I try to analyze their previous training history. Right. That way I'll know what type of adaptations they've made in the past, what type of training they're going to be better suited for. Mm-hmm. Uh, from there... Um, I find out if yeah, they're a beginner, they're an intermediate, or they're more advanced. Um, the amount of volume, the training intensity will differ a little bit between men and women. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just kind of easily identifying the gender of the athlete. 
women have more yeah. slow twitch muscle fibers. Mm-hmm. They're usually suited for higher uh, volume landmarks, whereas uh, men are more fast twitch. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also going to look at limb lengths. So yeah, very tall huge. people, they're going to accrue more fatigue because they're lifting the weight a further distance. Yeah. Uh, so for like someone like half Thor Bjornsson, uh, he's like <laughs> seven feet tall. He's probably all fast twitch. Yeah. Uh, he's lifting the weight so freaking far. Uh, he might have a different volume landmark. Now, of course, the next point then too is what type of sups or special sports supplements is the athlete taking? Right. Are they on drugs? Are they not on drugs? That's going to affect some of this. Uh, the type of job they work. Um, is it stressful? Is it more physical? Right. Uh, and then how much sleep is the athlete getting? How adherent can they be to a nutrition protocol? What does their stress look like? What does their time look like? Um, so all of these factors are going to kind of cater to the next part of designing oh, yeah. the program. No, absolutely. Um, so the more advanced an athlete gets – the more specific the quality focus of the training has to be. Uh, kind of, I like to take the long game to the short game approach for program design. So I try to think of programming in yearly cycles, which sounds crazy to people. People yeah. don't even know if they're going to be in the same <clears throat> fitness arena in a year, and that's fine. Uh, and then what I try to do is I look at calendar events. Is this athlete trying to look good for a certain event, yeah. like a vacation? Yeah, exactly. Are they trying to look good for a bodybuilding show? Um, that sort of thing. So if we can break it down based on yearly goals, it gives us landmarks where the training can kind of track towards. Uh, from there, I break it into more meso cycles mm-hmm. so monthly splits and then micro which is like weekly to daily yeah okay so with all that being said that's kind of the background information i'm taking on an athlete before i even decide to how i'm the approach i'm going to take uh from there as far as frequency goes for muscle groups it's going to depend we discussed in our frequency guide um in previous podcasts, how every muscle group maybe should tr- be trained a different amount. Uh, so, go. This kind of ties into the splits. Yeah. You say you're not a fan of training muscle groups maybe once a week. I agree. I, I feel like you're not able to get an adequate amount of quality volume. Mm. Uh, you end up overreaching on one day, and you end up leaving some volume on the table because you take too long before you get to your next session. So, uh, generally, if I'm working with an intermediate to advanced athlete. Uh, beginners are usually pretty easy. Yeah. Uh, they're very easy. <laughs> In, intermediate very to advanced. I usually try to focus each 12 weeks maybe on like one or two muscle groups we're really trying to enhance yeah. while keeping other muscle groups on maintenance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so typically frequency of, let's say, arm, shoulders, I'll be training them anywhere from two to seven days per week directly. Okay. Uh, more times if they are an emphasis for the block, maybe less if they aren't. And I'm going to disperse around 8 to 40 uh, direct sets for both uh, my delts and my arms per uh, week. Now, is that, uh, is that um, major major movements like multi-joint, or are those going to be accessories? More, with those muscle groups, it's going to be more isolation. I don't count. So, for example, it's a great question. When I'm doing rows, I don't count that as a bicep movement. Okay. Um, 
even though the biceps are worked, the brachialis, brachioradialis is worked, I don't count it. Same thing with like bench press. I don't count as a tricep movement. Yeah. Uh, so 8 to 40 direct uh, arm sets, direct shoulder sets. Typically for chest, it's going to end up being around 2 to 4 times per week. 4 okay. times if it's a woman a woman, and she, fatigue, or she recovers really quickly. Um, for a very advanced, really strong Athlete, someone that maybe benches 400 plus pounds, maybe only twice a week mm-hmm. is what they can recover from. Um, and as far as chest work goes, it's going to be somewhere between 10 to 30 sets. Uh, back would generally be trained two to three times per week. Yeah. Um, and that'll be anywhere from 10 to 30 sets. Currently, I'm experimenting. I'm actually working up to over 120 sets per week, and I still haven't hit my maximal recoverable volume. For, for, so I think one area for like back training? Yeah, for back training. Okay. Um, I'm doing exercises that I'm very well adapted to. That It should be noted. I'm doing a lot of chin-ups, which I've been doing since I was 12, so I can handle more volume than the average person. Uh, I find some advanced people that have done a lot of bodyweight calisthenics, sometimes their volume landmarks are going to be uh, a little bit weird. Like, for example, people in the military, I said for chest, 10 to 30 sets, but there's some people in the military that are so darn good at push-ups and so efficient that they might be able to do 60 sets. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, as far as volume landmarks go, there's a lot more research that's coming out. Brad Schoenfeld um, has been posting some really cool literature showing even like positive uh, linear dose responses and muscle hypertrophy, I think up to like 50 sets per some muscle groups. So we're just kind of cracking the surface. And again, all those beginning variables I discussed, such as like age, training history, um, genetics, lifestyle, uh, sex, all these things, that's going to greatly affect these landmarks. Yeah. Uh, legs, quads will probably be about two to three times per week. Hamstrings, two to three. Glutes as well, two to three with somewhere between 8 and 30 sets for all those muscle groups. Now, this is going to also differentiate based on the movements you're choosing. So, for example, if you're doing more heavy compound movements like squats, uh, deadlifts, bench, all three of these are pretty fatiguing. That may decrease your upper end volume for the phase, whereas if you're doing more, like you said, isolation work, so maybe like extensions like curls, uh, you can probably do more volume. I find it really funny when people are very against leg extensions, leg curls. I think just in order to get the proper stimulus, they don't generate a lot of fatigue. You just have to do more volume. Yeah. But the cool thing is you can handle more volume on them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that kind of goes into, I think I covered frequency. Sets, reps, generally starting out I'll, with an athlete, I'll start with something semi-moderate and just build some baseline. Typically, as far as hypertrophy goes, you want to build strength in the 6 to 30, maybe 40 rep range. Uh, I usually start somewhat conservative with athletes, keeping most of their stuff in the 8 to 12 rep range. Maybe some isolation work. We may sneak to 15 to 20 reps. And then from there, uh, the quality focus may change. And then also, depending on the muscle group, the sets, reps are going to be different. With arms, I may have more of my volume per block, maybe in the 20 to 30. Same thing with shoulders. If I'm doing a lot of isolation work, those things may be more 20 to 30 reps. So, for example, leg extensions, leg curls. Mm-hmm. Uh and then, of course, muscle groups get to determine this as well. Hamstrings, glutes have more fast-twitch fibers. They seem to like heavier stuff, so maybe six right. to eights. 
the key with hypertrophy is diversifying the rep range in a systematic way, utilizing periodization um, and keeping a quality focus there. The more advanced you become, the more specific you have to keep the quality right. per block. Otherwise, drastically changing things, you're gonna it's gonna compete. It's not gonna be very efficient. You're gonna generate a lot of fatigue, and the stimulus won't be as adequate, mm-hmm. and uh, you won't be able to make the proper neural adaptations to allow you to make the hypertrophic adaptations. Uh, I I got a I got a quick question that some people might be wondering um, mm-hmm. listening in. Um, when you say <clears throat> like ten to ten to thirty sets uh, throughout like throughout a week for yeah, a program, yeah, so ten to thirty. How would you be split into? How would you break that up? Say like in like a workout. Say like you're doing like like a like a lower body day, maybe like a squat day or Great something. Question. So, so like, so maybe one day earlier in the week, I may end up doing so. The beginning of and of course, I should preface. Uh, Beginning a mesocycle, I'm going to start at a minimal uh, effective volume. So minimal effective, meaning we're trying to do the least amount possible to get a positive response. The reason we do this is because you're introducing novel stimuli. Uh, When you introduce a novel stimulus, it's going to generate more fatigue as your body's trying to figure out what the heck is going on. Mm -hmm. So that's where the neural adaptations come to play. You may even start at maintenance volume too. And then again, we talked about as the more advanced the athlete is, maybe they're going to keep things, more muscle groups on maintenance throughout the cycle so they can allocate more volume to certain muscle groups. Um, yeah, so going back to that, so let's say week one, day one. Yes. Uh, the focus, I'm doing legs and arms because, again, okay. I said we train arms every day. Yeah. Shoulders every day. Why not? Uh, so potentially maybe squats, we're going to do three sets of eight reps where every set – we're leaving four reps in reserve or okay. we're, we're stopping four reps away from failure. Gotcha. Uh, the further you are from failure, the less quality the stimulus is, but also the less fatiguing it is. And if we're looking for that like optimal like stimulus to fatigue ratio, two RIR, two reps away from failure is probably where you want to spend most of your time for most movements. Right. Um, maybe less if you're doing like curls, maybe more if you're doing squats and deadlifts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so week one, we're probably going to do maybe squat three sets of eight at like four reps in reserve. Um, and then from there, a secondary movement, let's say this phase, we want to really emphasize uh, the quadriceps. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we may do three sets of leg extensions okay. at 20 to 30 reps at three to four reps in reserve. Um from there, uh, maybe we end up doing two sets of three reps in reserve on lunges. Okay. Uh, and you could see that, that that day, maybe day one for legs is more quad dominant. Yeah. Then maybe the, your second lower body day, you could maybe do deadlifts or sumo. De- I, I love sumo deadlifts for yeah. glutes. Yeah, so for maybe sure. you do sumo deadlifts uh, as like a prime mover, three by six at four reps in reserve. Right. Uh, secondary movement, maybe prone hamstring curls, three sets of 20 to 30, uh, three to four reps in reserve. And then a final movement, maybe like a Romanian deadlift or some type of RDL. Okay. Um, and that would be like the fourth day of the week. Okay. Uh, and again, and then I like splitting up if you have the time for it, splitting up your volume into multiple sessions 
throughout the day, the reason is you're able to get a higher quality of volume. So for example, I never understood it when people have time and they decide to do like triceps right after chest. I find the triceps are over fatigued. Yeah. Quite the volume true. decreases. So I like to do my arms separately, sometimes maybe at nighttime. I find the arms again, we talked about SRA curves. They recover really quick. Yeah. Shoulders recover quick. Maybe you like hit them over a 30 minute session at night. So even yeah, you could break right. it down the AM PM sessions. Yeah. I like that a lot. Uh, week two going back. So we said three sets of eight for the main movements maybe you do four sets of eight Mm -hmm. or you do a top set at eight and then you go down like you said you like to do your heaviest set first when you're uh yeah like second your second after the warm-up yeah yeah so warm-up aside i should note uh i recommend on all these movements you warm up i'm just talking about working sets there's a difference (laughs) between working sets um and warm-up sets easy way to tell is do you start thinking about reps in reserve if you're not thinking about like having any type of proximity to failure it's probably a warm-up set yeah absolutely um yeah then doing your lighter sets after reason i like to do that oftentimes is you get the neural benefit the like use of the placebo effect as well mm-hmm. where uh, the lighter stuff feels even lighter it also allows you to get that uh progressive overload with the heavier yeah. weight mm-hmm. while at the same time too Going back to those variables we previously stated, maybe you didn't sleep well the night before. Instead of sacrificing your top set and uh, building that top set, maybe you get rid of a down set. I'd rather lose a down set or two based on yeah. a, my volume, uh, recoverable volume not being as high due to certain factors than giving up my top set. Yeah. Um, Typically, throughout a training cycle, especially for hypertrophy, the main goal is going to be to build volume. Easiest yeah, exactly. way to do this on a mesocycle scheme is to increase sets. Yeah. Um, so increasing sets on various movements as you go through. Uh, some exercises are harder to drastically increase sets than others. Like chin-ups, for example, I'm doing 30 sets. I'm, a cal- I'm pretty good at calisthenics. I like them. They're fun. Um, but like for example deadlifts for example i would probably never go above maybe five sets in a training uh, yeah. session of yeah, course you definitely have to look at i have the, a tendency to train <clears throat> to maybe increase the intensity too high too quickly in some of those movements based on my powerlifting background right uh but with athletes i coach especially bodybuilders we're trying to keep these things in check mm-hmm. uh so let's see going with exercise pairing i typically like you said, you do you like to do push pull. The reason why I like push pull as well is because you're not getting the fatigue from one muscle group or movement is not going to compensate the quality of volume in another. Exactly, so like I love you, that. Yeah, if you crush your rows, it's not going to crush your bench. Exactly, and vice versa. Whereas if you crush your bench, that may crush your tricep extensions. And then it's just super efficient. Yeah, so we're trying to be as efficient as possible, gain the volume as high as possible in a way that keeps us from overreaching. So throughout the training cycle, we're increasing sets. Our body's adapting to it. It's called adaptive volume. Eventually, we're going to get to uh, our maximal recoverable volume, which, again, depending on your landmark and those other variables we discussed, it's going to be different for everyone. Uh, And then from there, we deload. Now, now what a deload is, is it's a reduction in intensity and volume. Mm -hmm. Generally, I look at what I did with the client on week one of the training cycle, and we'll cut the weight down by... 25 to sometimes even 60%. Yeah. If it's a very, very, very advanced athlete, we want to really cut that down because, for example, if I'm coaching someone that squats 800, 
a 600 pound deload is still kind of heavy. Yeah. Uh, typically, uh, <laughs> during the beginning of the week of the deload, we might be a little bit heavier and closer to their funnel. And then the, later in the week, it's going to be even lighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then volume is what seems to generate the majority of fatigue. So yeah. we'll probably even decrease the volume by 50%. So yeah, for sure. You may be wondering, why am I doing anything if I'm barely training? I have athletes that ask me all the time, Mike, I'm in the gym for 20 minutes, I'm done. Why am I even doing this? Uh, we're trying to keep the neural adaptation, so we're trying yeah. to keep the skill. Exactly. Lifting is a skill. Um, and then practice. the other reason is we're trying to wipe away fatigue. So mm-hmm. uh, we're wiping away fatigue, we're keeping the skill, and then what happens is by taking that time off and allowing things to recover, we're increasing your sensitivity to training again. There's a reason why training has to get harder to get stronger. The body adapts, it needs more. Well, you can't do this <coughs> forever. No. And that's where deloads can help increase sensitivity. Mm-hmm. They also reduce the risk of injury because they're going to reduce uh, fatigue and overreaching and over going over uh, uh, tissue capacity and an intensity or volume part that that's going to increase your risk of injury so wiping away that fatigue it's gonna hopefully keep you uh more injury resilient um yeah i mean i I feel like if 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 you're going into your deload week and you still have like plenty plenty in the tank i mean i I don't feel like you should be looking forward to that deload you should be exactly you nailed it there so i like to play the game uh you may need a deload if yeah all right well first you should i like scheduled deloads because then It'll force you to train hard enough by a certain week instead of just kind of lollygagging uh, through your training. Yeah. Uh, so a couple signs uh, will show maybe you, you should probably take a week for a deload. One, uh, what is your emotional response to training? Do you dread going to training? <laughs> uh, do you hate it? No, no. Maybe you just naturally hate lifting in general and this doesn't apply to you. But typically, your desire for training goes down. Uh, What does your libido look like? Mm -hmm. Um, When your libido drastically drops, it means you probably generate a lot of fatigue. You may need the rest. Uh, How do your joints feel? Do you have a lot of aches and pains? That shows that maybe you need a deload. Mm -hmm. Uh, How's your hunger? If you're not hungry at all, you can barely eat. It's a sign of uh, overtraining. Uh, What about sleep? If your sleep quality starts to suck and it drastically decreases, it's a sign that you're actually fatigued and you need to uh, recover. Mm -hmm. So these are all uh, like common things. And I don't want – a lot of people are over in their head and over emotional. But – Try to compare these uh, variables to your norm, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a sign. Another sign would be like you're having a hard time getting into certain motions. You're just chronically sore. Uh, these are signs that you probably need to uh, deload for a week or so. Um, there's a lot of research that people oftentimes freak out. They're like, oh, if I take a week off from training or deload, I'm going to lose my gains. You typically don't start to <laughs> no. lose muscle really for – it takes about four weeks. I feel like I feel like that's when the gains happen. That's when the gains happen. It, your sensitivity goes up. You recover. It allows for greater gains in the long run. Yeah, you're. Uh, you're, you're I, I feel like you're at, at that low intensity, low volume. You're just getting a good blood pump of, of yeah. good rich nutrients uh, yeah. to your muscles so they can grow. Exactly. So I, I think. Uh, Deloads are critical. If you're not deloading and people say I don't need it, it means you probably just never train hard enough. <laughs> no, or you don't stick to a program. Or you don't stick to a program. Yeah, or your vo- I mean, yeah, it goes back to, I mean, the volume's going to be the number one indicator of fatigue, and maybe your volume's not high enough, or maybe the intensity's not matching. One of the things that I think a lot of our members at our gym, Mike, and uh, a lot of my clients have figured out that, 
intensity has to be there. I mean, it if, has if, to be there. If you're, you know, when we when we talk about reps in reserve at that two RIR, sometimes it's hard initially as a beginner to figure that out. But as an intermediate and as an advanced lifter, two two reps in the tank should be something that's. Some, some, somewhat relatively easy to figure out, but when you're talking about general clients who are just like, well, I don't know, you know? Yeah. So yeah, all right, you, all right. you figure a, that out through. It's a subjective scale that becomes more objective with time. Exactly. I mean, as you, as you get more experience and you know your fatigue levels and your fitness and your strength levels, I mean, you definitely have a, a better feeling of what that RIR scale is for sure. Um, yeah. But uh, just making sure that th- those beginners... Uh, or intermediates even right because uh, mm. obviously you want to you, you want to moderate that uh, that volume and, and intensity with the beginner but when it comes to intermediates you know that they know the movements and the technique is is there making sure that the intensity is there sometimes as a coach or as a trainer you gotta be like mm, you gotta go a little heavier yeah like, like uh, everyone's gonna take the easy route out for sure. So yeah, no one I, wants to go outside a conference. I agree. <laughs> and then going back real quick to uh, yeah, for sure. Um, I talked a lot. We didn't touch. I didn't really touch on this much. Uh, people are like, "How many compounds should I do? How many isolation movements should I do?" Yeah, I think uh, for most like big and major muscle groups, I like around a seventy to eighty to 20 to 30 compound to isolation ratio. Right. Um, But then for arms and shoulders, I probably would have that inversed. Um, Okay. Yeah. So that's the only thing I can really think of that we didn't really delve into as far as hypertrophy, muscle gain programming. Yeah, I think we kind of covered that pretty well. Um, Now let's bring it down into strength. Mike, uh, when you're you're building your strength program, so obviously going before, like I think we kind of summarized that, you know, everyone's going to have their own – their own needs and own programs. So let's just say you figured out whose ever needs are there. Yeah. How do you build that strength program? Yeah. So like you said, everyone's got their own needs. Uh, the difference, major difference between hypertrophy and strength is strength intensity is going to get a greater focus. Oh, yeah. Volume's going to get less of a focus. It's still going to get some of a focus. There's a lot of overlap between the two. Yeah. Um, and then strength, there's going to be less uh, variation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so bodybuilding, you can use a lot of variation, less specificity in movement choice as well as the rep. We, I said six to 30, maybe four, who knows, maybe more. Mm-hmm. Uh, strength, um, you're, I'm probably going to most likely try to build uh, – my numbers one i, I want to take a couple movements that i want to improve upon strength is pretty easy mm-hmm. being a power lifter yeah. a lot of people they want to get their squat bench deadlift better so guess what uh those lifts are going to be programmed first in the training for the day so if you want to get something stronger do it early while you're not fatigued when you're bodybuilding it matters less yeah uh or building muscle that is matters less uh rep range we're looking at around three to maybe eight reps yeah. Uh, during a strength block, depending. If it's a newbie lifter, I may hover more around six to eight just because they don't have the neural capacity to really do a heavy triple. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no I find, way, and not, also not I initially. find like with women, for example, they, they do really well when we focus on like a five to 10 for strength. Okay. As they can do a lot of reps at a higher percentage of their one rep max. Ah, okay. Whereas like super strong, if I was training someone that's really, really strong. They, their strength block, we may spend more time on the triples yeah. because they're going to be doing such heavy weight. There's going to be other types yeah, of fatigue, fatigue that are playing be. in. 
Um, the volume is going to be far less. We may even keep the number of sets constant throughout the program and try to just increase load. Yeah. Um, uh, we're not going to be really introducing too many novel movements during a strength block. Mm-hmm. And then the supporting accessories are going to be more gauged to support the strength of the main outcomes we're trying to garner. So yeah. uh, during a hypertrophy phase, there's going to be a lot of variation. We'll do a lot of like general stuff. Uh, we get less volume allocation with strength, so we have to get a little bit more specific and uh, intelligent, I guess, and like yeah. movements we end up choosing to support the major movements that we want to improve upon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of the major differences. What about you, TJ? Um, I think when it comes to when it comes to strength, I think uh, again the the intensity paired with smart volume mm-hmm. is is going to be the key. Um, I think it's. I think the key uh, to getting that smart volume is through sets, right? Because you can always pair something with a lower uh, rep range, right? But you can always match that intensity to make sure that the, that the stimuli is there, right, yeah. for, for the muscle. So, um, I, I mean, I like to keep uh, – I, I mean – I mean, when it comes to strength, I don't like to go like per like like per movement. Uh, again, I, I I keep it very specific, but I try not to go any any lower than four sets. I mean, I feel like that's not. I feel like that's probably the minimum you want because you're going to be on the lower end. You're not going to get yeah. that much volume. It's exactly. not going to be that much uh, neurological pathways built and stimulation built, especially under that heavy intensity. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I like to go uh, four absolute minimum. That's it for for a beginner. And then, you know, someone who's advanced, uh, probably up to 10 sets even, yeah. you know. Um, so a lot of people will be like, oh, my God, it's a lot of sets. But, I mean, that's going to be, like, heavy triples, right? Those exactly. are going to be doubles, you know. Exactly. And you'll probably be allocating <clears throat> less volume to accessories then. Exactly. So um, I definitely keep things very spe- uh, specific. And, again, you know, those accessories are going to be helping that goal or whatever the lift is, whatever the strength needs to be for. Like, if it's a squat, you know, I'm going to do um, – probably like uh you know knee stability uh glute activation uh uh type of things especially if it's going to be under heavy load you know you're going to want more knee stability you're going to want that glute activation to help support that so um but then uh i mean exercise pairing and splits i I feel like are, are, are very similar across the board um but i think uh i'm going back to that I mean, it all comes down to that fatigue management, making sure because I mean these these strength movements are going to be grinds. It's going to be a lot of possibly you know when I look at uh, you know how you do your bench press, you know you have that tempo bench press. You touch down, hold one second, and then back up. You know mm-hmm. a lot of people just tap and go, tap and go. Yeah. You know they 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 keep that tension locked in and they're able to to push through it. But you know mm-hmm. having to build that tension back up is a totally different ball game. So yeah. I think. Going going back to the sets, having that practice, you know, getting the volume by accumulation through the sets, keeping the 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 reps low so um, you don't fatigue out. So I agree with everything you just said. Uh, it's brilliant. <clears throat> One thing that's important for maybe any of our younger listeners to note: uh, sometimes, especially in high school, kids get into training and they think immediately, "I got to do five by five. I just got to five by five. Five three one. Now yeah. here's the issue: oh, five three one. You, I mean, can't, one. you can't have strength. Without muscle. Nope. nope so especially nope, nope. in neural adaptation. So especially young athletes, 
that are listening, uh, really emphasize the uh, the hypertrophic muscle gain phases. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at the strongest people in the world, they usually have a ton of muscle. Uh, so make sure you build that base. More muscle equals more strength potential. Look at it almost like a pyramid. Yeah. The muscle building is the base. The bigger the base, the higher potential peak. Exactly. So they they, they, go, they pair well to each other, and it's typically why with most people I coach and TJ as well as we may start with a moderate hypertrophy phase mm-hmm. and then we deload after so many weeks depending on the situation and then maybe you transition to a strength so it's like a pendulum and the rep scheme kind of feeds into the reps the next scheme mm-hmm. so you want you want, don't want randomness within individual mesocycles or within macro cycles you want your phases of training to build into one another and almost complement each other increasing sensitivity to the next phase um, and that's where you can get your new variation and then new novel adaptation yeah all right cool. i think we should uh hop uh, hop into fat loss so fat loss. so fat loss uh you know there's a couple ways to approach this uh, uh you know i'll approach from just a, a caloric burn um like just just a caloric burn wise one, one of the things i love for fat loss is uh i'm a big uh, believer in um uh low low slow and long so low intensity um, you know, I say slow because I think of like, you know, walking at a, at, not at a slower pace, but at a brisk pace, but in, in, in terms of like sprinting, jogging, slow walking, mm-hmm. right? So brisk pace, do it for a long time. You know, I always say at least an hour to my clients. They always look at me and go, hey, I go to walk an hour. I go, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how it works. Yeah, you watch TV for three hours. You yeah, exactly. Walk for one of them. Mm-hmm. So... Um, or, uh, so I always just say walking outside, you know, especially when it's summer and everything like that. Uh, if not, I do like, uh, the high intensity, um, the interval training is good. Or I just like, uh, like metabolic conditioning style work, um, mm-hmm. to where you're, you're, uh, rocking that heart rate really high. You're getting the, the calorie, uh, the caloric burn output. Um, and so like, uh, like metabolic conditioning, like certain things like AMRAPs, you know, mm-hmm. like doing like stadium stare, sets you know like doing like 10 sets of 10 you know stadium stairs you're doing 100 stadium stairs in a certain amount of time so you're really you're really jacking that heart rate up and you're really uh putting emphasis on that caloric burn so that's usually what i you know when it comes to fat loss what i what i either recommend it's kind of like both ends of the spectrum in the middle it doesn't really like the steady state you ain't gonna burn any fat that way yeah i think that was great as far as fat loss goes so, yeah, well, yeah. what's your take? I mean, you know, that's just my take. Yeah, I agree. We're trying to create – so, yeah, trying to win the energy equation. So calories out being greater than calories in. You doing that through exercise is important. I like, like you said, uh, the low, slow, long. long yeah. Uh, the reason is the, the fatigue generated is very minute. Yeah, it's, it's huge. It's very small. So the issue is everything you do from a physical standpoint is going to fill into your volume bucket. And if you do less in one area, um, you're going to be able to do more in another. So if you do too much high-intensity, high-stressing cardio, it's going to make uh, your weight-bearing activity a lot more difficult. One easy way, at first, I find to track uh, your low intensity is steps. So maybe you don't want to go do six hours walking. That That's fine. Track your steps and try to shoot for... A daily and even more important weekly uh, step goal. Yeah. Um, 
And th- well, those are so easy to track nowadays. Yeah, exactly. Let's <laughs> run a regimented nutrition protocol. We're tracking that. From there, we can increase uh, our caloric expenditure. Yeah, I almost think that through like, other means that that it's almost like building a nutritional program. Yeah, it's building the nutritional program and then finding I mean, like, the exercise program for sure. Obviously, yeah. But, but I, I I like the, and then yeah. You're right. I, I like the high-intensity interval training as far as, like, the psychological benefits. Yeah. I think there's something to be said about increasing your VO2 max and the uh, ability it has to decrease your risk of certain uh, diseases, namely cardiovascular disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I know there's some bodybuilders that are adamantly against doing anything high-intensity, and I get it. It's going to be more fatigue-generating. Oh, yeah. To detract from your potential output with your weight burn activity. But not everyone's a bodybuilder. Some people want to get that psychological high, the endorphin rush. Yeah, exactly. Uh, while at the same time maybe increasing their VO2. Yeah, right. It's it's um, you know it's not going to be for everyone. But I, I mean, if you look at bodybuilders, what do they do? They do the the low intensity, the low and slow. Yeah, yeah that, that's perfect. Uh, I do find that the key with cardio that sometimes people get wrong is. They don't use any periodization. It's like completely random or they do the same thing every that's, time. That's so true. Uh, so I think making sure that you don't start at too high of an intensity, namely time-wise, that mm-hmm. you just generate a ton of fatigue and then you need to deload everything. Yeah. Uh, so slowly building into it, keeping it trackable um, so you understand like what level of fitness you're at, uh, how you can adjust calories and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, those are my keys to uh, fat loss. Make sure that you keep your protein high to increase your muscle protein synthesis and keep your volume relatively high for the same reason so that you don't lose your hard-earned muscle. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, definitely agree uh, Agree on all those points. Um, you know, I think fat loss is one of the most important things. Uh, it's always going to go back to uh, caloric deficit. Are you uh, burning more than you're inputting mm-hmm. or more than you're intaking? And... Um, finding finding the best ways that are gonna um, help burn those burn the more fat calories as opposed to the carb calories that you know your body loves to loves to use first. So um, yeah, I mean that's I mean that's as far as it just ma- making sure that your nutrition's on point. Mm-hmm. Uh, make sure you're not overeating your calories and. You know, yep. make sure you're you're doing a, some sort of caloric burn to where you're not <laughs> something that you enjoy that you can sustain. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, if you if if you know, steady state cardio is your thing. You like running again, just make sure you you, you periodize it. You program it to where you're you, you have some sort of goal, and it's and it's it's not just okay. I'm just gonna go out for a run. Maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll do uh, three miles. Maybe I'll do one mile. Yeah. Maybe I'll do you know. So it's yeah, random. And I, I should also note some of this is gonna come down to uh, where you are in your current fitness level. So if you're morbidly obese, yeah, you may need no cardio. I mean, some cardio would be good for your heart health, but just changing your nutrition protocol, maybe getting rid of liquid calories, something so simple like that yeah. to decrease your caloric expenditure or sorry, caloric intake, uh, you'll probably see a profound effect on uh, fat loss. The more lean you get, the more uh, cardio you may need, but then you have to also be more careful because the leaner you get, the higher amount of muscle to fat you'll most likely lose. And that's where that protein, that training volume comes into play. So the leaner you are, the more careful and more specific you have to be with some of these other variables if you're in a fat loss phase. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. You know, it's it's tough to to try and avoid that uh, catabolic state, but uh, you know, so the body just loves sometimes just going after the muscle. Yeah, we want <laughs> metabolism um, of the fat. 
Yes. Retention of the muscle. Exactly. So Keep make sure that protein. Yeah, make sure the protein is always protein is always high. high. Yeah. Um, all right. I mean, that's uh, uh, that's all I got. What do you got, Mike? That's it.